poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friends, another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. Today, I am joined by the new Chasing Poker Greatness private coach, one of my lieutenants in strategy creation and the Wolf program. He's a poker player that I've worked with for most of the past year, and yeah, just continues to impress with dedication, hard work, a love for teaching, communicating, helping other people, as well as playing at a very high level. Uh, Shu, welcome to Chasing Poker Greatness, sir. What's up, man? What's up, Brad? Pleasure to be here. Typically, as we do on this show, start out by you know, getting to know you a little bit more in depth. You know, I think there's a lot of areas of your life that I don't even know about. So, yeah, let's start with sort of how you discovered poker, um, what your life looked like, and you know why competitive endeavors resonate with you as a human. Sure. So um, I discovered poker in 2017. I was in uh, a master's program, uh, getting my master's in engineering, and uh, there was a bunch of international students in this program, a bunch of Indian guys, and they all love poker. And um, yeah, ever since I met them, they would always invite me to play in their home game. And um, I just kept declining for months, the first few months. And then eventually one day, um, we all made plans to come hang out at my apartment. And, you know, my roommates were like, hey, what are we going to do? And the Indian guys were like, how about we play poker? So (laughs) you're trapped. Yeah, there's a home game at my place. Like, how can I turn that down? Right. So yeah, that was how I got into cards, just home games in uh, grad school. How, why the the resistance to endeavor to play poker? Why, you know, I think that the typical story is like, oh, I just did this thing and it was fun. And then I kind of just fell into it. Um, no real, no real reason really just preferred drinking and going to bars on the weekends instead of sitting around and playing cards, I guess. I didn't, I didn't realize how fun it was until I actually started playing. I thought it was just, you know, like another card game or a board game or something similar to that. Yeah. Um, so you've been in poker now for like five years. So entering the world of poker, um, it seems like this is kind of perpetual. I think the, this sort of thought by the poker world at large that like, this is the present moment is the hardest time to get into poker, right? Like, oh, mm-hmm. if only I would have gotten into poker in 2007, right? But in 2007, people were like, ah, oh, don't get into poker. You know, the, it's very difficult now compared to how it was three years ago. Like, that's just always sort of the mood of, you know, the poker world. Entering poker in 2017, um, most folks would say not an ideal time to enter the space. And yet there you are hesitantly entering the space uh obviously once you played with your indian friends um it latched on so 
tell me about that first time, that experience and why just the game resonated with you so much. Sure. Um, that very first session we played, you know, like a $20 buy-in game. And uh, my strategy at the time was just to play, you know, to VPIP if I had a face card or an ace. And I quickly lost four buy-ins in the first hour or so. And um, yeah, I remember just like busting continuously for an hour, taking a quick break. And like, you know, there's like other friends just like hanging out on the couch, just like drinking. And I'd like go hang out with them for like half an hour. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to go get him, get him with this final bullet and just like hopping back in the game for like 15 more minutes and then just busting my last bullet. And (laughs) first session, I lost like a hundred bucks, but I remember it being a lot of fun. And yeah, ever since that first session, it was just like every weekend I would be like, I would be the one trying to invite people over to play, you know? Yeah. You got the bug and you got it hard once you, once you got it. Uh, what did things sort of look like? And I, and I guess like, why did poker get its hooks into you in that way? Once you actually experienced it? Um, it was a combination of things. I think like in the graduate program, um, I wanted to be like friends with my fellow students and I wanted to have a bond, but like, it's pretty hard to connect with you know, people in a graduate program and yeah, poker was just like a great activity to do with your fellow classmates. And yeah, just like playing, you know, continuously, like every weekend with the same people, you just, you know, it's just like a bunch of guys just getting together to play cards. It was just like a, it was just a really fun thing to do. It's interesting. You say that it reminds me of uh, Brandon Shaq Harris, who was recently on the podcast and he was, in the early 2000s, he started playing poker because he was, um, there was a high likelihood that he was going to join the band Muse. And that was sort of like what they did backstage to kind of unwind, um, was like play poker against each other. And he was like, oh, like, you know, if I'm going to be joining Muse, then I need to like know how this works. And so he like learned how to play poker. Uh, the Muse thing didn't work out in the end. And now, you know, close to 20 years later, he's uh, been a professional poker player for (laughs) most of that time, which is just like, you know, it's, it's kind of a funny, funny way that the world works out, you know, sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, did you finish your, the graduate program? Yep. So I played with, you know, my classmates for the rest of the year and, um, yeah, everyone graduated in the, in the end of the spring semester and all went their separate ways. Um, I had like a private consulting gig that went through the summer. So like I was like the only one left and uh, the the master's program was in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. And like, I was, yeah, like people graduated and like one by one, you know, the home game just got smaller and smaller and eventually, yeah, the game broke and everyone went their ways. (laughs) And um, yeah, I think um, after the summer, after I finished that uh, consulting job, I went to the casino for the first time. And my, yeah, that first weekend at the first time playing at the casino was pretty legendary. Um, I'll never forget my first hand. I, I played like a pretty loose, aggressive strategy back then, like pretty similar to how I play now, I think. But um, <laughs> just, uh, I, I remember coming in the big blind and I folded the big blind, I folded the small blind, and then I was on the button and I, I thought to myself, I folded the last two hands, so I think I have a tight image. 
Uh-huh. It was like a 1-3 game. Like I bought it in for the max, so it's like 300 bucks. And uh, there's like two limps to me, and I looked down at King 7 offsuit, which I thought was a premium on the button facing two limps. So I, With your I, squeaky clean image, I mean, what, what could possibly go wrong? Right, I floated the last two hands. I'm a nit. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember raising to like 25 or something, and uh, both limpers call. Fluff, fluff comes like ace-7-5, so I flop middle pair with king-7, and I see that like 30 bucks into two players. Uh, one of the limpers call. Turn is a seven, and like even at that point, like even though I was pretty early on in my poker career, I knew like the seven turn was better for my opponent's range. So I remember checking the turn, and then the river was like a complete brick. It was like a ten, so like a seven five seven ten, and we have uh, king seven off, and the limper just like pots it on the river, so he bets like one fifty or something, and we have like. I don't know, like 240 behind. And I remember just like taking a long time just trying to decide between like calling and raising. And like this was my first ever hand playing in a casino. And like I remember just like the excitement and like my heart was like racing. And yeah, I just ended up calling and the guy was turning a five into a bluff. And yeah, I just remember it was just a really fun hand. Ah, such such a fun hand and so many mistakes. <laughs> Tell me, uh guy <laughs> to my left is like King Seven off, huh? Like I remember like not even like sarcastically, I was like, but I won the hand, so obviously I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Statement of fact. Yo, come on, look look what happened. Like, get out of here, buddy. Um Tell me, uh, you said something that's pretty intriguing there. Like you realized early on, even in that hand, that the seven was better for your opponent than you. Can you tell me sort of how you began to think about poker in that way or why poker just like you naturally trended to, tended to think about things that way? Um, I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. It's an ASI flop. So like it's good for my range, so I just like bet the flop with everything, and then yeah, just whenever the second card or third card pairs, it's usually better for my opponent's range because I'm not supposed to be betting those types of hands, like the second pair or third pair hands. Except like you just did, <laughs> <laughs> and your opponent bet the third pair on the river too. But that's another another story for another day. I knew that the seven was good for his range, so he was trying to rep it, I think. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's like a very good thought and like something that um, I think that folks early in their poker journey probably don't really think about kind of right off the bat. So that was why, yeah, it was interesting to me that you thought about things in that way sort of early on. Yeah. I want to finish completing this entire weekend because it was a pretty big learning experience for me. So I had like two pretty big winning days. So I went on Friday night and Saturday night and I think I won like 800 bucks each night. So pretty big winning days. And uh, Saturday night I went out and celebrated, like stayed out all night. And like Sunday morning, I woke up pretty hungover, pretty tired, you know, was probably up till like three or 4 AM just like, you know, partying and doing dumb shit. And, um, 
So uh, Sunday morning, I went back to go play poker in my hungover state, and I proceeded to lose almost everything that I had won that entire weekend. So I think I was up like 1600 and I think I lost like $1,520 because I remember going home and being up like 80 bucks for the weekend. And I remember going home and telling my roommates my experience for the weekend. And we had like a mini intervention that like I need to, you know, not play poker as much or like just be more careful about gambling because um, losing 1500 in a day is a lot for a recent college grad. And yeah, that was pretty eye-opening. And I took a step back from playing poker after that. And uh, <laughs> a crash course one yeah. weekend, we rip off the big wins on Friday by Sunday. You're already in intervention mode and taking a step back from the game. Yeah, the highs and lows of poker. <laughs> um, which, you know, that was only five years ago. What's funny is uh, for the folks that know you well, like in the village, um, you're consistently going to yoga, uh, going out rock climbing. Whenever you're in poker power hour, you're like on your treadmill that you have around your desk, like just this like uh, image of, fitness and like always taking care of himself and doing the right thing. And like five years ago, it's like, no, nah, I was like just getting hammered and going to play poker hungover and <laughs> having interventions. Uh, it's good stuff. Um, so after said intervention, uh, I have to imagine that like poker didn't take a super backseat for a super long time, but what did things look like? Like after that weekend? Right. So that was like end of 2017. I had just graduated. And um, right after that, I got a job at a uh, Honda supplier and, you know, had a salary. was doing okay. So I started going back to the casino, you know, once a month or twice a month or so for the next, you know, six months or whatever. Um, I had income, so I wasn't taking on as much risk as I was as, you know, a recent college grad whose net worth is probably, you know, 10k or something like not even that much so yeah i think um i started playing in the local one two game at the casino and um started studying um jonathan little's uh books his material is really good for beginners and um yeah eventually started winning at uh live one two and what else were you doing as it relates to study was it just reading the jonathan little books in those days yeah, pretty much. And watching a lot of YouTube content, like high stakes poker. I think like Tom Dwan was my favorite player and I just watch all of those shows. Um, but yeah, to be honest, I probably didn't get that much better. It doesn't take a lot of work to beat 1-2 Live. <laughs> a lot of stagnation in those like six to eight months or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you're progressing through your career, you're playing poker a little bit more. Uh, let's talk about how you found the village or even entered the village because I, I'm actually, yeah, I, I don't know how you stumbled across Chasing Poker Greatness and inquired about we, private coaching. We can get to that. That's like, <clears throat> that's like a little later on in the story. We can, I can give like a quick, fast 
track for the next year. So this is like, so like towards middle of 2018, I'd been playing for like, you know, six months or so. And I was on a pretty good upswing at one, two. And I decided to start investing in my poker career. So I remember buying, you know, a subscription to like run at once and upswing poker and also taking maybe like 1500 out of the bankroll just to build my own PC so I can start playing online poker. And I fondly remember like ordering all the PC parts, putting my PC together and just, you know, like starting this bond with this computer that like, like you and me, buddy, we're going <laughs> to the stakes. And one day we're going to be playing high stakes like together on this PC. <laughs> yeah. We're all there. Do we still have that close connection with, with your computer? Yeah, of course. It's right here on my desk. <laughs> it's listening as we speak. Yeah. So that was like towards the end of 2018. Um, and yeah, ever since then I deposited a hundred bucks on ignition and yeah, quick, quickly rose through the stakes. Uh, thanks to mostly upswing poker. I think their, their content is pretty good for online poker. And um, yeah, what just went from five and all all the way up to maybe yeah, 50 and all or something um, within the next six months or so. And after those six months of grinding up through the stakes, by the way, why, why, did you decide to go sequentially through each stake? Um, I wanted to earn my stripes by organically building my bankroll, which in hindsight was a very, very big waste of time. <laughs> my hourly during those times is probably like two to three dollars per hour when I could have, you know, just played live poker and made like 20 bucks an hour and supplemented my bankroll that way. But yeah. Torturing yourself for a while, making $2 an hour is ill-advised, um, ill-advised from my standpoint, but it did work out. You ran it up. Um, so after you reach 50 and L, then what? Um, this was um, towards, this was Memorial Day actually in 2019. So I was doing well at 50 and L and um, I, I got into rock climbing and I had a pretty bad accident. Um, I fell like 20 to 25 feet um, climbing outdoors for the first time. And the first time you fell? Yeah. Um, so like outdoor belaying is different than indoor belaying. And my, you know, girlfriend or like wife now, but girlfriend at the time, she wasn't used to the, you know, the different belaying methods. And she dropped me like 25 feet and I landed straight on my back and fractured a bunch of stuff in my neck and fractured a vertebrae and had to get my back infused. So, um, yeah, I was in the hospital for like a week or so and also just out of work and just in bed for maybe a good month. Holy shit. Barely walking. How, um, how was your wife in dealing with that? And like, what, what were you feeling? I guess, like when you hit the ground, um, I remember hitting the ground and, just just pure pain and i tried to get up and i couldn't get up because i was just like in so much pain and yeah it was like there was the 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 vertebrae that i uh, fractured in my back it was like it felt like it was on fire just so much searing pain from that one location and 
yeah, my wife felt so bad. Um, but, you know, it could have been a lot worse. I think I'm pretty fortunate to be able to walk and live a pretty normal life. So, yeah, absolutely. Like, that's, uh, I mean, terrible thing, but outcome could have been much worse. But in the back of my mind, I was pretty excited because I didn't have to work for three to four months and I could just play poker. Wow. <laughs> After being. <laughs> talk about always looking on the bright side of life um well this is great like i, I may have just <laughs> fucked my back up for the rest of my life but at least i get to play poker now but little did i know like i i go to log into my uh ignition account and my ignition account was stolen when i tried to log back in after you broke your back <laughs> wow talk about like the the uh, actual and then metaphorical backbreaker. Um, it was terrible. I tried to log in. It wasn't logging in. So I called ignition support and they were like, oh, looks like yesterday or not yesterday, but maybe like a few days ago, you changed your password. You changed your address and you withdrew your entire account. How the and hell did that happen? I have no idea. Someone must have got a hold of my account information. Wow. So it's no, no idea as to like who would steal your money or if it, you think it was just like some kind of online phishing type deal? Um, I think I used to play on my laptop in like coffee shops and stuff, and maybe that wasn't the best idea. I, I, that's what I'm assuming, but I have no idea how they got my information. And wow. um, this was before Ignition had like the, the 2FA, so... Like anyone can just get in your account and withdraw. Um, how much money did you get whacked for? Uh, it was a little under two k. It was um, I was doing well in fifty and L, and I was gonna start shot taking one hundred and L soon, and then yeah, those plans quickly went away. Yeah. Um. So much for the stripes. Looks like we gotta re. Looks like we gotta make a <laughs> deposit. Deposit now. Yeah. So twenty eighteen for the rest of the year, I just played mostly live cash. And, um, yeah, I did quite well. I think I won like 18K in the first couple months playing one, two. And, um, yeah, I remember shot taking two, five towards the end of 2018 and quickly going on like a 10K downswing, which was, you know, fun. <laughs> Classic yeah. shot stuff, just go on the downswing of your life when you're shot taking. But, um, yeah, towards the end of 2018, I had recovered from the downswing and was doing quite well at 2.5 and um, yeah, maintaining like, I don't know, like a 40 to $50 hour win rate, which was pretty good at 2.5. Yeah. Um, did you get back to online poker? Yeah. So towards the end of 2019, I, it was like, there was global poker and I felt safer with global because you had to verify your account and you can only withdraw to your bank account. So even if my account did get stolen, they couldn't like withdraw the money. So I felt relatively safe using that one. And um, yeah, I guess like early 2020, I wanted to play more online poker, but at the same time I was doing well at 2.5 live. So I like didn't want to sacrifice my win rate to go play online basically. Yeah. And then what made you... I guess I know the answer to this before I ask the silly question. Uh, it, it's going to have something to do with a some silly like thing that we dealt with for a couple of days. 
Yeah, looking back, it was like one of the best things that could have happened because, you know, I just wasn't, I wanted to play online just so I could get better because I understood that you get more hands in and it's much easier to get better playing online, but I just didn't have like the discipline or the maturity to step away from live poker. Yeah. So we have a global pandemic, everything's kind of shut down and then it was, well, if I want to play poker, I guess I got to play uh, online poker. Yeah. So I deposited 2K on the global, just just decided to hop right into 100 NL because I was already doing quite well at 50. And I just, yeah, at this time, I, I recognized that playing 50 NL was a waste of time and I could just move up because, you know, I, I had a big enough bankroll to play bigger. And yeah, just... There was also like a small online poker boom during the beginning of the pandemic, which really helped a lot. But I quickly just destroyed 100 NL and moved up to 200 NL. And um, yeah, during the pandemic, the online poker games were so good. I had like back to back to back 10K months playing 200 NL, which is ridiculous looking back. Yeah, but 50 buy-in months. Those are pretty pretty good ones. Yeah. And um, yeah, just working from home. So working from home with a combination of social distancing just gave me like all the time in the world to just play poker. And yeah, I was probably probably playing like 30 hours a week consistently during that period and just absolutely demolishing 200 an hour. Yeah. So now, now may, may I ask the question of how you fell into Greatness Village now that we're, we're caught up? Yeah, we're caught up. So um, I was at a bachelor party towards the end of 2020. And um, a couple of the guys knew Justin Saliba. So Justin's dad used to be, so we're from the same area and his dad used to be my soccer coach back when I was in high school. And so I knew about Justin and I, I kept seeing that like he would post social media posts with like Jonathan Little. And I was like, oh, this guy must play poker. And he's like, somehow he has a connection with Jonathan Little. But um, like I never reached out to him because, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't know. I, I probably could have just DM'd him. But um, I was at a bachelor party and I was with a couple of Justin's college friends and I mentioned that I like poker and they were like, oh, we can FaceTime Justin and you can talk to him. So like, I was like, absolutely shit faced. And like, <laughs> I have this opportunity to like talk to someone at like pokercoaching.com. And yeah, we, I connected with Justin and he recommended you as a, as a cash game coach. And then yeah, I found my way to Greatness Village. Wow. So a drunken night when you FaceTime Mr. Saliba, that's how you found your way. I, that's probably no, but that's probably going to be a unique entrance into uh, into Greatness Village. Yeah, sorry, Justin, if we were if we <laughs> interrupted your evening, a bunch of <laughs> just randomly calling you. <laughs> I think those are the kind of interruptions that like make life a little better. You know, just like your drunk friends calling um some kind of random reason uh and yeah so after you know justin recommends me um 
let's talk about you know your consult and eventual decision to invest into poker coaching right Pri- so private poker coaching with me at the time i was pretty skeptical um private coaching just seemed a lot more expensive than it needed to be like like a, like 800 bucks for a, a four pack was the price at the time and i felt like i could just pay 800 bucks for a year's worth of like run at once or something and i thought that would have more value but um yeah in hindsight that's not even close you've survived preflop boot camp you've shot the fish in a barrel now prepare yourself for the feeding frenzy a comprehensive strategy for gutting every fish in your player pool data-driven hero bluffs light calldowns and perfect value bets that are maximally designed to hurt some feelings feeding frenzy available now at chasingpokergreatness.com slash feeding frenzy I, I remember that skeptical shoe. I, I wrote a newsletter um, recently uh, as you're, you know, we're announcing that you're the CBG private coach. And um, I was like, I told John after our consult, I was like, dude, I got a, I got a bad feeling about this guy. Like this guy, I, I don't know. Like he seems like he's going to be a pain in the ass um, because you, you asked if you could connect with people who had a bad experience coaching with me so that you could talk to them about that experience. And I was like, okay, like I'll give you like my full student roster. I don't care. Talk to them away. But um, privately I was like, uh, John, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about this cat. I, I asked for the good reviews and the bad reviews because it's just always interesting to read the bad reviews. Yeah. I remember the bad reviews aspect of it. I guess my the, the human negativity bias, you know? There wasn't that many bad reviews, though. It's just a lot of good reviews. And yeah, definitely hearing John's story from his trajectory from 200NL to 1K was one of the biggest reasons why I decided to go with private coaching. Yeah. You were, um, I'm not going to say struggling, but kind of like breaking even at 500, right? When we fired up private coaching. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. Like when I was playing 200 and L, I was playing pretty loose. Like I was doing all kinds of things that, you know, a, a, a typical poker player wouldn't do. Like, for example, like flatting from the small blind or flatting from, you know, middle position or, you know, just playing kind of a wacky strategy, but like I had an understanding of preflop ranges, but I was just, you know, making it up on the fly and it was doing quite well. So I kind of had my own style, but for whatever reason, whenever I moved up to 500 and L, I tried to play more of a rigid strategy of like never flooding and always playing like three bet fold. And like, for whatever reason, that transition just changed my strategy for the worse and I was really struggling with that transition to 500 and L. Yeah. And uh so let's talk about private coaching. You know, you mentioned that the value is immense, it's not even close. So like what about it made it so valuable? Um it's probably a combination of things. It's, it's like pretty nice to have someone, you know, hold you accountable for 
playing well and like every week i'd have to send a video and um just having someone watch over your play and explain is really uh really important because you know as poker players we we experience variance and you know sometimes we get risk averse when we're going on a downswing or if we're winning too much we try to lock up our wins and like all of these little weaknesses get highlighted whenever you have to you know show someone your work so yeah there's a lot of a lot of different interesting um benefits to having a private coach watch over your play yeah and i remember too one of your goals uh was to possibly eventually when we had our our consult uh quit your job and um you know your wife very smart human being driven motivated has a good job um you were one of your goals was to stay at home and help raise the inevitable little shoes that will populate the earth at some point in time heaven help mm -hmm. us all um so now here we are less than a year later you've quit your job um you are a professional poker player that's how you spend your time your energy uh, now you coach poker as well so let's talk about you know quitting your job um to pursue poker in full like what gave you the confidence and really led to that major career decision sure so we did one month of private coaching and i went on a pretty big heater so i was like i'm ready let's let's quit the job and go <laughs> that's one month um <laughs> i do remember thinking like wow he's quitting his job like we, we just like had a consult not that long ago and like he's, he's just <laughs> like doing it um a little scary yeah i went on a heater and then immediately went on a huge downswing and was you know wondering if this was even a smart idea but um yeah eventually it all worked out i think um it, it kind of like all the stars aligned right um i went pro and then you were looking for people to help with the wolf's program or just building strategies using um mda so um yeah as soon as i went pro uh, you took me under and the work that we've done has helped tremendously and like yeah ever since then it's just been a no-brainer like i 500 ml is just i think it's just so easy now that yeah it, it just all worked out yeah i can i can say with confidence even like for me who's been in the game like forever the work that we've done in building out these strats has just made me such a better poker player it's made me understand the game at such a deeper level than really i ever have um and it, and it was fortuitous on my side too that you know you quit your job and then had some free time um to work on strats with me and just like grind through it because like it, it's not a this is not like a simple thing to undertake you know i had to badger you to even get set up in the first place to like uh start being able to do this you know it was like dude you got to do this because like it took like a week maybe longer than a week to like get set up to be able to do what we do um but yeah it was just like a great fortuitous series of events that led to us kind of exploring our curiosity building out strats and just like growing at a rate that was i mean it's still kind of unbelievable to me 
right now. Yeah, six months ago, we didn't even know how to calculate the EV of a value bet, and here we are. Yeah, it's uh, calculating EV of an action is is quite difficult. Uh, It's way more difficult than people like give it credit for considering like all the different branches of the decision tree and like how one action influences like a branch downstream. Um, Yeah, it's just, it's been great. It's been awesome building out the strats. And um, yeah, so now why, you know, you know, I, I talked to John, um, John's people have reached out to John about private coaching due to, you know, our discussions on tactical Tuesday and his career trajectory, John, I think as of this moment in time has something like minus a hundred percent interest in being a teacher (laughs) and instructor. Uh, he's just fully locked in on maximizing his potential and seeing how far he can go. Uh, so why did teaching sort of naturally resonate with you? Um, I've always enjoyed teaching. Um, even when I was in college, I would host like tutoring sessions or like, you know, just teaching my classmates what I had learned like during class or whatever. So I've always enjoyed, you know, sharing information and helping others and improving others. And um, I think it's a way of like giving back to the village, you know, because um, there are many people that want help, but you know, there's not many, I mean, there, there are like coaches in the village, but yeah, I, I think there's just a, a need for, there's, there's definitely a demand for private coaching. So yeah, I, I don't mind filling in that demand and stepping in and helping others. Yeah. And before you started private coaching in earnest, we've, you know, I've coached you on coaching, right? You've watched coaching replays of past sessions. You've given out a ton of free coaching sessions to people just getting reps in, um, which, you know, I think is quite important. It shows like dedication on your end for improving communication skills, being able to transfer information, being able to help identify leaks and work with people um, on a human level, which I think is quite important as it relates to just coaching and communicating with human beings. Uh, what would you say is like your favorite part of private coaching in your experience thus far? My favorite part is that poker might seem very complicated to um, like a beginner or a lower level player, but in reality, it's actually quite simple. And um, yeah, I mean, this is that what's his name, Patrick Howard quote, but just, you know, providing simplicity on the other side of complexity and just like breaking down the game and just giving people, you know, very easy actionables is really satisfying. Just, you know, getting rid of that confusion and the overthinking and simplifying people's games is really satisfying. What are your current goals as it relates to your poker journey? You know, I think when we had that consult, I already talked about them and you've already achieved most of them. Um, So what are you looking forward to in the year 2022? Um, It's a good question. I don't really know what my goals are. I mean, obviously I want to become the best poker player I can be and 
eventually move up to 1k i mean i'm yeah that should be no problem right like probably in the next few months or so but um i will just continue badgering you every day until you do inevitably move up it's it's fun beating 500 i know at like 10 to 13 big blinds or whatever it's just <laughs> but it is it is true the win rate at 1k is probably much higher or like the dollar amount win rate is much higher um yeah, I was I was thinking about this the other day. There's a there's a couple of different goals or a different couple of different ways I could go about this. You know, I could continue building my private coaching business and try to take on I cur- I currently have like five students right now, but I could probably take on like I don't know, 8 to 12 students and just be, you know, like a part-time coach and play part-time. But also a part of me wants to help the wolves program and you know keep building the wolves program and eventually just be like a coach on there um that's that's the ideal world that's that's the (laughs) ideal scenario um (laughs) you can just go you can like you know not put in as much work and earn the passive income and i'll just be like the the main coach for wolves and if if the program becomes big enough where you know you can be on your own and then i can just that's a natural progression i mean that that's my vision for the program too i i was thinking about this like just last night how my life from sleep to wake up is chasing poker greatness like (laughs) almost everything that i do everything that i think like everything is kind of related to cpg and i and i just like had this moment where i was asking myself like you know is there a world where like cpg moves on and and, like it it's not just me and i think that like that world is possible um but the needs would be to obviously um have somebody like yourself to be in charge of the wolf's program. And then God only knows how I would find somebody to replace me doing the podcast gig. Um, but I think it's doable. Like, I think that this venture is something like, like, I think I am replaceable, um, over the long run, which I guess is kind of relieving to me. It's like this thing that I kind of started, um, can take on a life of its own and progress without me. I think, I don't know, from a creator perspective, I, I think that's kind of like the place that you want to inevitably get to, you know? Yeah. Well, podcast and coaching, you've got the coaching side down. So you just got to maybe get John to become a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, best of luck. Uh, I think actually John, John, I think that he would have a knack for, asking questions, which is kind of what podcasting is, right? It's like finding an interesting thread and asking a question and following it. I think that like, that's one of his strengths as a poker player and as a human being is latching on to that interesting thread and finding the right question at the right time to get the best response. Yeah, I agree. I, I learned so much from John from that, from that uh, perspective, just whenever it's like us three working and he'll like ask you a bunch of continuous questions. I'm like, wow, that's how you're supposed to ask questions to like, you know, learn. Whereas I'm not very good at that. I just nod my head and say, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, the, the good thing about it too, is like, 
they're very good questions that like move the needle, you know? And, and like when we, we all share these like common interests together, um, it's like exciting, I guess, to be asked these questions that like move us forward collectively as a unit. It's like just the combination of multiple people is just better than a single person because of so many different perspectives and different ways to problem solve and different way to look at things. And, um, yeah, so let's just do a little bit of lightning round here now that we're, we're caught up with your, your world. Um, what's some common poker advice you hear that you completely disagree with? Oh man, I just, I just got in a thread today with Alan about thinly value betting. And, um, I think it's pretty, I think there's like this weird, um, thought that like the really, really good poker players always go for thin value and they, they always try to maximize value. Right. And I think that is, um, pretty bad advice. I think the um, second part is good advice though, trying to maximize value because like there, there's different ways to skin a cat, but I, I know what you're specifically speaking to. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to make that clarification. Yeah. I'm going to just repeat what I posted on the thread, but um, <laughs> essentially uh, online poker players, they fold too much and they bluff too much. And if they fold too much, then bluffing is really good. But going for thin value doesn't work because they fold hands that you're trying to target for value. So um, instead of playing your like thin value hands as value bets, you should be checking them instead and playing them as bluff catchers because the, the flip side of the pull tendencies is that people bluff too much. So thinly value betting is likely a minus EV play in the long run, and then playing your thin value hands as a bluff catcher as a plus EV play. So it's a pretty big swing between a minus EV option and a plus EV option. Which, like, interestingly, you know, the second part when you said, like, maximizing value, right? Like, sometimes mm -hmm. maximizing value when you're out of position on the river is not betting, but it is checking. Um, you know, the goal is always to maximize value. However, like things happen when you open the action on the river, like sometimes you get raised and the equity that you had in the pot. Now you're denied that equity because, um, you just can't call the river. Right. So like there are things that happen by opening the action. Um, and yeah, thin value betting, I think is just, it needs to be precise. It needs to be measured. And we need to like, be able to quantify that this bet will make money. Otherwise, it's just not going to make money. I, I mean, otherwise, like just bad things happen, um, which I think is another part of the stuff that we've worked on is like gaining the ability to have a lot of that precision um, when choosing the action that you take. Right. And yeah, feel free to come argue with me in Slack. You know, I'll gladly hash it out with anyone that has, <laughs> yeah, that disagrees. That's, uh, I think part of the scientific process, right? Like just have disagreements and look at all the available data points and kind of see where people land. But, um, I would also say that like you and I know quite a bit about <laughs> the way things work these days and we can like 
quantify and objectively prove um, a lot of situations uh, using the way that we uh, using our methodology for improving at poker. Um, and uh, yeah, so if you could erect a billboard, every poker player has got to drive past on the way to the casino. What does shoes billboard say? Um, hmm. Mine would probably say something like play like an end boss, you know, play. Yeah. Just play like Garrett. <laughs> make the, make the crazy hero call. If your gut is telling you to call and like, you know, always go for the bluff. Yeah. Just, just play. Just play go in, for it. Basically. Like this good, crazy way. I think that's like the best poker style that you can have. Like, the loose passive, tight passive players just don't. You can have a much higher win rate by playing like this, yeah, good, good maniac style. Um, what would somebody who's listening right now be surprised to learn that you're horrible at? Um, probably logistics. Um, I am incredibly lazy and uh, just don't do things on my to do list until. They have to get done. So, um, yeah, and I'm also pretty bad at putting in volume. I've only played about 14,000 hands this month. And usually the goal is to play like 20,000 hands a month. So I'm a little behind. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's not like. What's something on your to-do list that's just like been sitting there you haven't got done lately? Yeah. I've I've been meaning to uh, put a new flooring in the house for the past two months, and I was supposed to get it done by the end of 2021, and here we are. Almost <laughs> <in February. laughs> I don't have a good excuse. I have way too much free time, and I. <laughs> the good but, excuse um, is you just don't want to do it. I think that's the excuse. Yeah, I mean, I do the things that I need to do, but like, like, like if there's like. MDA work that needs to be done. I'm I'm there for like eight hours straight just doing it. But yeah, if I don't feel like doing something, it just usually doesn't get done. Well, um, you know you can pay people for these services, right, Shu? Like you don't ha- you don't actually have to do it yourself. I thought it would be fun to do it myself, and now <laughs> self accountable. Yeah, I think you need to rethink that uh, that opinion. I think um, I think there's like a common misconception that like you need to be logistics like like a perfectionist and that to become successful and i think like as long as you're working hard and you're working efficiently for you know enough of the time like consistently then you should be able to find success i think working on the right things is priority number one and you know it's like the Abraham Lincoln quote of like, you know, if I have five hours to chop down a tree, I spend the first four sharpening the ax, right? So figuring like, what am I going to spend my time on? And then spending your time on that thing. And it doesn't have to be like 24 hours a day. Um, mm-hmm. But working on the right thing is going to do a lot more than just working on any old thing. Right. All right, man. Well, I think that'll do it for your intro. Uh, I know that me and John both are excited to have you on Tactical Tuesday in the near future. You've been coming on the pokercoaching.com uh, webinars 
the last couple of months, breaking down some of the hands that I play during the poker coaching play and explain videos. Um, so yeah, just really excited and looking forward to working with you, you know, indefinitely throughout the future. It's been a godsend, um, having you in the village and coaching you. It's just been exceptionally beneficial for me. Um, and excited about the future, what excited to see what the future brings. Yeah, I'm pretty excited as well. It's been an insanely fun eight months or so. And yeah, I'm looking forward to the next year or whatever, you know, in the near future. Yep. So until next time. And, and oh, if somebody wants to buy private coaching or wants to have a consult with you to ask you, you know, why you're so terrible and um, why your students hate you, where can they go ahead and learn more about your private coaching services? Um, you can go to the chasingpokergreatness.com website. And um, in the Den of Greatness tab, there is private coaching links. Um, there's a page for Brad and there's a page for me. So just click on you know my face. And uh, there's an application form. So if you want to get private coaching, um, please fill out the application form. And there will be a link to schedule a consult. So you can meet with me for 30 minutes for free and we can talk about, you know, private coaching or poker in general or, you know, whatever your heart's content. Yeah, chasingpokergreatness.com slash shu is that URL, S-H-U. Man, it's been great. And uh, yeah, I'll be talking to you probably later today. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me on, Brad. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.